Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For, for Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. You're with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Danteren shortly and during the show we'll be joined by our 250-game veteran of the Victorian Premier League and former Notts County man Dean Hennessy and our former ITN journo-turned-pundit Derek Dyson. Now, a long-awaited World Cup qualifiers are finally underway in various parts of the world and no country has had to endure a tougher lead-in than Australia, which makes the comprehensive win over China in our Doha home fixture all the more impressive. We'll look at the match and what it means with our favourite former soccer skipper, Paul Wade. We'll continue the discussion around the men's and women's sides with Football Australia CEO James Johnson and also find out a little more from the man in charge in this country about the ongoing challenges of managing the game during heavy lockdowns. And we'll carry on with our lead-up to the A-League season as we wrap up the hour with Wanderers' Dimi Petratos, a journeyman of the competition, back from a stint in Saudi Arabia online, playing for the first time in his own backyard in Western Sydney. In the second hour, Willem will kick off with second edition news. And while regular listeners would normally expect a journo from the UK to be talking about the Premier League, as we usually do, this week we're going directly into our own backyard for an expert, as no one in this country knows more about Tottenham than our very own Michael Lynch from The Age to join us for a chat about about the outstanding start to the season of the ladder-leading Lily Whites. Derek and Dino will dive into the European World Cup qualifiers and the closing of the transfer window this past week. And to add insult to injury, Edge and Derek are going to have a little fireside chat about the Gunners' woes and what needs to be done as we wrap it up with stoppage time. Edge, uh, it's been a great week. What a result against China. Fantastic result against China, Rob. The Socceroos and Graham Arnold, I give them 9 out of 10. Absolutely a perfect start. Um, the only negative is probably, the, the reason I didn't give them 10 out of 10 was maybe a little hamstring injury to Martin Boyle, who was absolutely fabulous until uh, he, he uh, did that little strain. So we need to sort of wait and see how he turns up. In fact, Rob, I have a trivial pursuit question for you about Martin Boyle. Do you know he scored four goals in eight games? So the question is, what number is higher? Martin, goal, Martin Boyle's um, four goals for Australia or the number of days he's actually spent in Australia? <laughs> well, I know that's the latter, isn't it? Because uh, it, uh, it is less than four days that he's spent in Australia, but it's better than, uh, than a few other players. I mean, Harry Sutar's another one, isn't he? Yeah, Harry's might have been might have been to Australia two or three times, but Martin's been to Australia only once. So Martin Boyle has scored more goals for the Australian national football team than he has spent in Australia, Willem. And having said that, Willem... You must have so much great news about the Socceroos. I do, Michael. I'm pumped up. What a fantastic morning it was. The Socceroos sit atop Group B after a 3-0 win over China in the third round of AFC World Cup qualifying. Australia set up the win with goals to Alma Bill and Martin Boyle midway through the first half before Mitch Duke added a third off the bench. The side will remain in Doha for a day's recovery before flying into Hanoi to take on Vietnam on Tuesday evening. So, Michael, that is nine wins on the bounce. As you mentioned, the only concern, uh, a little niggle to the left hamstring of Martin Boyle. So we'll see if he comes up. But that is an emphatic start to the final round of World Cup qualifying. Hopefully it'll be the final round. Hopefully we don't have to go uh, through to the fourth. But, yeah, an excellent start. Absolutely fabulous start. Really, really good. And obviously the big, um, the big bonus was Oman beating Japan. W- what about that news? 
Yeah, Japan, they suffered a shock. Home loss to Oman in Tokyo. It was a late goal to Isam Al-Sabi. The other winner in the group was Saudi Arabia. They conceded an early goal to Vietnam, but overturned them 3-1. In Group A, Ali Reza Jahkan Bakash's goal was enough for Iran to defeat Syria. They lead the group. And rounding out, there were scoreless draws between South Korea and Iraq and the UAE and Lebanon. But Rob, undoubtedly the story uh, of the match day as a whole was Japan. Wouldn't it be nice to play them with the upper hand uh, next month on their home soil? Yeah, it would be amazing. 11 games they've played against Oman. It's Oman's first win. And I think we've talked about this a lot over the last um, couple of years uh, since Qatar was announced or more than a couple of years since Qatar was announced as the home of the, the next World Cup, that a lot of the Middle Eastern countries would be preparing and would shock uh, a lot of bigger name countries uh, in their efforts to, to represent their nations in what's ostensibly a, a home World Cup. So, uh, yeah, just amazing for, for Oman to uh, to beat uh, the Blue Samurai in Japan. So that, that'll just shock Japan and uh, and send them reeling, particularly with the result that uh, Australia had and, uh, and, and also Saudi Arabia, you know, uh, beating Vietnam comfortably, which, as we know, is no mean feat. Back home, huge news breaking uh, on Friday morning. The APL has announced significant expansion of the W League with Western United, Wellington Phoenix and the Central Coast Mariners all to enter sides over the next two seasons. The number of regular season and finals matches will grow accordingly, while the combined results of A-League and W League teams will count towards an Australian club championship. It will represent the first W League expansion since 2015, while the APL's press release also confirmed a new CBA is close to being agreed. And Rob, uh, in a looking at it in sort of a harsh light, this is the minimum that could have been done really from a whole of Australian sport of perspective because in the women's game, in, in women's sport here, the fight for talent is on and I mentioned Melbourne City coming in in 2015 uh, since then 18 AFL women's teams have sprung up out of the ground the women's BBL has, uh, has grown further so as brilliant as it is it's also much needed yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a sign of the times, um, and and all of the, the the sports around Australia, around the world, for that matter, are competing for for women's talent. So uh, it, uh, it it just there's, there's no way to sit on your hands and, and wait for opportunities to rise or to be prepared. You've really just got to get in on the front foot. So yeah, as you say, it's, it's the least we could do. And Willem, uh, my information is that Wellington Phoenix will enter the competition this next yeah, season. They're, ready they're, to go. Just, they're dotting the I's and crossing the T's on that. That means there'll be uh, five matches per round. So that's an increase of one match around, obviously 10 teams. And then obviously Central Coast and Western United will join in the 22-23 season. And obviously they've added a preliminary final to the final system. So three weeks of finals, uh, the old-fashioned AFL stuff, one versus two. Uh, winner goes through to the grand final, loser to the preliminary final to play off play off against the winner of three versus four um, so that'll add a bit of um, a bit of spice to the W League and uh, I'm looking forward to obviously having five matches of W League throughout the next season not four and I think that's a, a good achievement we're still waiting to find out the details of the CBA and we want uh, we just wonder you know whether that minimum payment's been lifted up to compete with uh, the sports that you mentioned BBL and AFL that'd be the old McIntyre final system wouldn't it Michael it would be yeah the final four Football Australia has ratified the appointments of three members to their board of directors, each on two-year terms. Former national representatives Mark Bresciano and Heather Garriock were reappointed and appointed respectively, as was Katrina Noble. Noble is a former managing director of ANZ Bank and CEO of McDonald's Australia. Michael, back to you for some quick comments on these appointments. Well, it now means that the board is uh, nine uh, nine people, um, five females and four males, and 
uh, going up for election at the next AGM will be Joseph Carozzi and Amy Duggan. So obviously two former Matildas, so very uh, very uh, well-equipped women in, in Heather Garriock and, uh, and Amy Duggan on the board now. And uh, that's a, a really great development. And obviously the former uh, CEO at McDonald's, she's got a wonderful uh, CV, obviously um, uh, heavily involved at ANZ Bank as well. So um, that's a, a pretty good outcome, I'd imagine. And that board's uh, taking shape after you know what's been a, a bit of a rocky road for them over the last uh, 12 to 18 months. Staying with Football Australia, they've confirmed their commitment to play this year's FFA Cup, scheduling matches in Queensland and Western Australia from the 14th of September. Peninsula Power will now host Brisbane Raw on Tuesday the 14th in the opener, with Edge Hill United to play Gold Coast Knights the following day. Florian Athena will host Adelaide United the that Sunday in the West, the first FFA Cup match played on a weekend. Rob, every time they schedule these matches, I get excited. Every time they have to postpone them, I get disappointed. And for whatever reason, I've seen this announcement come through. And I'm excited once again. Bring on the FFA Cup if they can get it done. Come on. Yeah, keep on getting excited, Willem. I think uh, like just about every other sport in the country and around the world, they've eventually managed to get them played. And, uh, you know, it's been too long since we've seen, uh, you know, those smoky wafts of kebab stands uh, drifting over the suburban uh, uh, grounds and passionate uh, kids uh, behind goals. It's it's the burgeoning growth of uh, a competition that, uh, that you know, it'll it'll see its highlight long after we're gone and, uh, you know, it'll be the time-honoured FFA Cup or Australian Cup or whatever it's known as by that stage. But, yeah, it's uh, it's one of the final pieces of the sporting puzzle, that, along with crowds, of course, that we, we need to get back uh, around at least the east coast of the country. Yeah, I'm sure our friends in Adelaide and Tasmania and WA are uh, just sort of sitting there licking their chops, uh, uh, going to games as we're all sort of stuck in lockdown. And heading abroad to finish, Hungarian fans have once again disgraced themselves during the side's World Cup qualifier against England, booing the three Lions for taking the knee pregame and pelting them with projectiles throughout the match. Pleas from the Hungarian players for respect went unheeded, with England later condemning the racist treatment of Raheem Sterling and Jude Bellingham. Earlier this year, UEFA ordered Hungary behind closed doors for three matches for racist and discriminatory conduct, but 67,000 attended this match as it fell under the FIFA banner, not UEFA. But England, uh, classy and united uh, amid the torment, Rob, they were 4-0 winners, Raheem Sterling on the score sheet. And it's about time FIFA as well as UEFA got serious on Hungary. No, it's just shameful. It really is. I mean, a proud country like Hungary, um, it's it's a wonderful place, a wonderful people, and and these uh, fools who uh, who do what they've done yet again, disgracing their country. It's just a black mark. And as you say, FIFA just needs to keep on punishing uh, countries until they they eventually get it right. All right, Willem, great start. We're going to talk more uh, World Cup qualifying this time, Socceroo style, with our uh, favourite former Socceroo captain Paul Wade. Wade is always lots of fun to have a yarn to. So stick around. That's next on Box to Box. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most yes, crucial goal. Box to box. We set off the top of the show that... The long-awaited World Cup qualifiers are finally underway around the world. Uh, no country, as we all know so well, had to endure a tougher road into those qualifiers than Australia. Couldn't play at home. We had to go to Qatar. But they absolutely dismantled the uh, rising uh, football power of China uh, and uh, and did it in style under uh, our great mate and captain, Graham Arnold. But uh, our favourite former Socceroo skipper Paul Wade was watching it all closely and he joins us on the line. How are you, Wadey? Mate, I couldn't be better after a result like that. I'm in New South Wales and the sun is shining. Things are good. 
It was brilliant, good. wasn't it? I mean, uh, we uh, we turned the uh, the coverage on to hear that Japan had lost to Oman, yeah. which was brilliant from our point of view. Uh, you, you, mm. you you just couldn't believe that there'd be two upsets in one night when you saw that result. So it was all just set up. But uh, China did come out uh, pretty well at the start. They they looked like they had it together and they were very well organised for that first fifteen minutes. Yeah, I was getting a bit concerned. I don't think Matty Ryan was under any pressure or the back four, but they up until that front third, you're thinking, geez, they're playing good football. Mind you, I heard the commentators say, uh, Simon Hill say, that they have been, what, together all the time for 12 months and we had two training sessions. I'm thinking, there's no wonder that they are playing so well, but, you know, to go bang, bang in the 24th and 26th minute, that took the steam out of them. Wadey, um, I just want you to reflect on the resilience of the Socceroos because it would have been easy to make excuses for them. This game was supposed to be in Sydney. We know COVID quarantine. Australia is the only country um, in the last uh, 48 hours that's had to play a home World Cup qualifier away from its home nation. So it would have been easy to make excuses. China had been in Doha for two weeks preparing. Uh, Their players are all together other than one player. Our our boys come from all over the place, not the greatest flight routes in with the sort of the way the airline system's in at the moment. But um, they just have a a dependable spirit, don't they? I mean, I was nervous before the game, but um, I didn't need to be because they just have a great fellowship, camaraderie spirit, and Arnie's got them well-schooled on, on, on how to just go about it. Um, their resilience is something to be very proud of, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, I'm glad you mentioned Graham Arnold there, because a couple of years ago, remember he came out and he said, you know what, I'm not enjoying coaching because I'm putting too much pressure on myself. I'm, I'm listening to too many media pundits who are um, trying to look for a story. So he went away and uh, changed is the whole outlook and said, you know, I want to be here and I'm going to enjoy myself and I'm going to get my players in a frame of mind where they're enjoying themselves as well. As a footballer, he was always the life of the party. If there was any joking going on, it was him taking the mickey out of someone. And I think that's reflected in the way they come together. It's a beautiful balance of look out. If you upset the boss, you're not playing and he's your mate. And you can have a joke around with him. You know, the last person I uh, I saw do that was Eddie Thompson. God bless him. He's no longer with us. But he had that ability to go out and have a couple of drinking sessions with the boys. But I tell you what, if you weren't training uh, the next morning or you weren't playing well enough, he had that ability to go, bang, see you later. So it was a beautiful combination. Graham Arnold's got that. Players never assume they're going to be playing. There's a certain edge all the time. Wadey, let's talk about um, Awa Mobile and Martin Boyle. They uh, were penetrating runs. They've both got a lot of leg speed. But um, can you just tell us about uh, Awa Mobile? He seems to get better every time he turns out for the Socceroos. He seems to be uh, improving his technical ability. I mean, uh, how much is he impressing you? Oh, he's probably the most impressive. I've got two ticks. One uh, for Rogic and his touch on the ball and just his vision and everything. But we expect that from uh, Tommy Rogic, don't we? But the other big tick was Mobile. Honestly, the, not just his ability, his speed, I'm willing to take uh, players on, but just his competitiveness. 
You know, if a player had the ball, he wanted it. He was going to make sure he was pushing and shoving legally to get it back. And I thought, massive tick there. He's got the confidence to want the ball as well. I mean, that only comes with time. But I thought, wow, he's going to scare a few defences. I think there'll be a few uh, players who are paying attention to him. And there'll be backup for whoever is marking him. Because I'm not saying he's a... You know, he's a top of the tree, a long way from it, but I've seen some real improvement and I'm enjoying it. This is Box to Box. We're talking to our favourite Socceroo captain, Paul Wade, about the result against China in the World Cup qualifiers over there in Doha. It's meant to be a home game, but we had to play in Qatar. We've got another game coming up uh, within a week against Vietnam and, and some cameos uh, as well, Wadey, uh, the likes of Callum Elder, uh, who, who came on late in the match. Uh, this is not a golden generation of stars who play in the top flights around the world. It's sort of like, a, you know, a... Um, a silver generation but it's got a real glow about it doesn't it because all of the the players are either playing in you know second tier competitions or uh, you know off broadway so to speak but there's a real camaraderie around them and you know i was reading an article about the, the australian cricket team of uh, last decade and how there was just no great culture of inclusion and new players coming in and, and when i listened to elder after the match and heard the the, the, the passionate and enthusiastic way he'd been welcomed into the squad uh, you just get a sense that under you know that positive nature of arnie that you talk about uh, that there's really something special going on there yeah i don't know whether they've got an idiot shirt maybe that's helping because <laughs> we we certainly had and we had some players playing at the highest level including graham arnold you know who were earning big dollars but there were a lot of players playing at home as well but you're always brought down to earth if you had the idiot shirt and just to give you a uh, an example of that we uh, I went out after we beat the USA 1-0 and we thought, right, we are going out. It was a citrus bowl in Miami. So I've jumped in a cab and I've looked down. And I said, that, is that $10.45 on the meter? Are you going to turn it off? It was a digital clock. <laughs> it was 10.45 p.m. Boy, did I get hammered for that. And I deserved it. So it didn't matter who you were what you were, what level you played at, you are always brought down to feel that it's a privilege to play in this team. So get used to it, take take advantage of it, and just remember who you're representing and why you're there. Wadey, it takes one to know one, defensive midfielder, you were one of the best. Tell me about Aidan Hrustig and Jackson Irvine. Do you like them playing uh, in that uh, you know dual sort of sitting midfield uh, defensive midfield role, what can you tell us about um, about those two players? And obviously, uh, Aiden Rustic seems to be like Awama Bill, just growing in stature game by game. Yeah, they do. I don't know whether I like the two sitting in the back of a back four. You know, it, especially when you've got the Rogic sitting in front of those. I always find that. So many teams have too many players in the middle of the park doing the same thing or not enough of the the things that they're expected. So, look, that's developing. I'm I'm quite surprised that Arnie had those three, that that little triangle in midfield, because all his success for Sydney FC and a lot of what he's done with the national team is more more about a 4-4-2. 
because he wants his two wide midfielders to get forward. And if if the two wide midfielders don't get forward, you've got Ryan Grant flying past him. We didn't get those two fullbacks forward very many times, did we? So, look, with two in the middle of the park, oh, it did work in the second half because Tommy Rogic almost went up and played alongside Taggart and Duke when, uh, when Ta uh, Duke was on. And I love that because it gave... Um, Pristich and Irvine that chance to control that whole area so I have I'm, I'm split on that decision but as two players who uh, can make an impact beautiful tick so Wadey just a final point before we, we wrap it up mate uh, Vietnam are a rising power uh, they had a 3-1 result against uh, Saudi Arabia, which is not to be sneezed at, particularly given that it was a, a home match for uh, for, uh, Saud for the Saudis. Um, we, we certainly cannot afford, particularly with the Oman result against Japan, to take anyone lightly. <laughs> no, you are dead right there. You know the beautiful thing about football compared with the other codes? I mean, you take AFL, you take a mark, the game stops. You take another mark, the game stops. Mm -hmm. In rugby league, if you've got a bigger, I'm assuming, I'm, I don't, I'm no expert. If I've got a massive frame, I'm going to run right over the top of you two. But in football, you have to be clever. If you want to park the bus, it's a tactic. It's not, it's not entertaining, but it gets results. And I remember in the last World Cup qualifiers, and you might correct me on this, but we played at, is it Amy Park? And we had 30 or 40 chances of goal and Against we couldn't Thailand. score. Mm. What was that? Against Thailand. Yeah, that was yeah. the one. Yeah. And, was an and that's the beauty. You don't have to be the best to get a result. So, But Graham Arnold won't take this for granted. None of the players will. We, uh, we don't want to go through that back door to get to the World Cup. We want to be in the top two mm. and we want to go straight to the big competition. Yeah, who would have thought that we're saying that we haven't missed a, a World Cup in two decades? It just seems like time has flown so quickly, doesn't it, mate? Johnny Warren would be a very happy man, mate, uh, sitting up there with his old mate Les Murray and uh, all the old uh, green and yeah, gold. Yeah, my there as well. And, exactly. Uh, they're they're all, all just uh, having their espressos, just, just uh, <laughs> looking down and going, how good is this? Exactly. Hey, Wadey, we love talking to you, mate. You just bring such joy to uh, uh, any discussion. Uh, you never forget just uh, the, the fact that this is this is fun, this is entertainment. Um, yeah. Yes, it is a professional game at the highest level, but uh, um, it brings us joy, and, um, and talking to you uh, brings us exactly that kind of uh, smile on our face that we need at this time. Mate. Hey, can I leave you with a dad joke? Give can I, joke please? On Father's Day. Wow, for Father's Day, exactly. Somebody complimented me on my parking the other day. They put a little note on my windscreen. It said, parking, fine. <laughs> great. Nobody laughed. That is a great dad joke. It was a pause, mate. We just had to get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what it was? It was computing yeah, yeah, it well, all. You two well, as you thick know. as two short planks. Yeah, we, are, we are absolutely. Wadey, we love you. We love you. And, uh, and it, yeah, I tell you what, um, if you're a, a member of our football community today and you're not smiling after the Socceroos, well, uh, you need to have a hard look at yourself, don't you? You do. Yeah. Hey, Wadey, happy yep. Father's Day, mate. And um, uh, Thank you, boys. Us. Good talking to you. See ya.
soccer guru legend Paul Wade joining us on Box to Box there. Okay, we're going to continue the conversation uh, with uh, another big hitter in the game, James Johnson, the CEO of Football Australia, is going to join us. We're going to talk about the women's and the men's national sides, the, the future of both sides, and just the whole environment around COVID next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Before the break, we talked to our good mate Paul Wade, former Socceroo captain, about the brilliant result of the Socceroos over there in Doha against China as the World Cup qualifiers resumed under Graham Arnold. And we want to talk more about that and other things related to football at the top level in this country with the CEO of Football Australia, James Johnson. He's on the line now. How are you, James? Doing very well, thank you. How are you? All the better for uh, the result uh, this morning. It was just amazing. Uh, there's nothing like getting on to the telecast and hearing that one of your arch nemesis teams in Japan has just been beaten in the upset of all time to, to set the, the scene for uh, for the game that we're about to play. But there were nervy moments early in the game, James. 15 minutes, uh, China looked like they uh, were in control. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think the first 10, 15 minutes were um, a little bit difficult for the team, but I think as the game went on, they, they really played themselves into the game and I think for, for, for the rest of the match, there was really only ever one team that was going to win, and, and, and that was us. And look, it's a very good result for the team. It's a good way to start the third round of qualifier. And it's actually the uh, only the second time in our 99-year history that the Socceroos have won uh, all these matches in a row. Yeah, just amazing, wasn't it, James? That uh, winning streak just goes on. And, and to do it in the context of the bubble, I mean, we had assistant coaches support to Graham Arnold unable to get there. The players had uh, two practice matches against the Chinese team that, from all reports, have been together for pretty much the better part of 12 months. Yeah, the, 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 the what the players are playing within at the moment is very complicated. We've got um, players that are uh, having challenges getting out of Australia because when they come back into Australia, um, they're having to quarantine for 14 days. We've got players... They're also coming from, from many countries around Europe, from, from the UK to, to Germany, to Belgium, uh, to China, and every country has their own uh, quarantine rules. So to, to bring a team together from all over the world is very complicated. And when they're in camp, you know, it's not business as usual. Um, you know, people are wearing masks all the time. They're, they're social distancing. Um, and there are a lot of uh, restrictions around um, what a normal high-performance environment um, would have the players so it's a it's, it's very uh tense situation and uh one that i think the players really rose to the, the occasion of james um i know all of uh, the soccerist fans right around australia will they'll be aware that uh in of the games in the last 48 hours uh australia was the only team that played out of its home country so Bearing in mind um, the trajectory of COVID, um, our vaccination vac- vaccination rollout, um, the likely timeframes around that, can you give um, our listeners uh, a bit of an idea about um, how the Federation is going in trying to get home games organised in light of everything that's happening in Australia? It's, it's really a complicated issue. So the, the Socceroos actually haven't played a home match since I've been in this office. Um, the last time we, we played a home match was, was back in 2019. The, the real challenge for our sport, which is different from other sports, is, is our players are contracted by clubs, often in Europe or Asia. Um, and the way that the release of player rules work is that the national teams um, only get the players for nine days. So what this actually means um, on the ground is that um, 
by the time a player would come in quarantine for 14 days in Australia, um, the player would already need to be back at the club within that period. Um, so this is the real big challenge for our sport at the moment. We really need a uh, softening of that 14-day quarantine period um, if we're going to see the Socceroos and Matildas uh, playing in Australia anytime soon. Well, let's hope um, you can work for that with uh, various governments and we can see maybe um, in a couple of windows' time uh, the Socceroos back on home soil and that will be a day to, to, uh, to uh, be very joyous about. But James, uh, a big appointment is made recently for those people who follow the high-performance uh, structures at, at the Federation. Paddy Steinford has been appointed as the high-performance manager. That um, role loosely has been vacant um, since before you uh, were appointed as CEO. Can you tell us about Paddy's uh, appointment that, and in a broad sense uh, the, the focus of that role and, uh, and just how important that's going to be to the future of our national teams? Coming into the role in January uh, 2020, this was uh, one of the big appointments um, for, for, for me. Um, obviously, COVID hit and, and the national team program was was put on ice. Um, so uh, we, we, we didn't start the process uh, until early in 2021 as our national teams were being stood up. Uh, and we've we've appointed Paddy and Paddy has a, a really fantastic background. He, he comes straight out of the Boston Red Sox in Major League Baseball, but his background includes... Um, the 76ers, the, the, the Blue Jays, Philadelphia Eagles. He's really worked in um, a, a wide range of, of sports in the very top professional sports um, around the world. What we really wanted in this role was we wanted someone that could come in um, and, and, and really help us build um, a world-class high-performance uh, environment. We had had some challenges uh, in this space uh, in, in the past. So Paddy's role is really about putting in place um, clear processes around appointments um, of coaches and, and key high-performance staff, um, really lifting standards that we want our national teams um, and our staff to, to live by um, in camp and also um, out of camp. So Patty, uh, Patty for us, um, you know, he fits that bill and we're very happy and excited with his appointment. Just the professional standard that uh, our international players need to uh, compete against the world's best. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Football Australia CEO James Johnson. James, the Matildas, uh, Tony Gustafsson, uh, really felt the, the white-hot heat in some of those friendlies. And uh, we went into the Olympics uh, with a lot of uncertainty. Just missed out on a bronze medal. It was a, it was a brave performance um, coming off the back of, of those friendlies, but showed a lot of signs of things to come. Looking ahead to the, uh, the Women's World Cup just a couple of years away, the high-performance uh, environment of, of our current Matildas, in particular uh, the, the aspiring Matildas, and those ones the next tier down, because most of them, their income, their, the bulk of their income comes from a central contract as opposed from their club. So what do we need to do in this country to, 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 to fix that gap uh, for those players who really perform, the, who provide the, uh, the depth that we need to, to perform at the top level? So I think, I think the women's game in, in, in general, uh, and, and this isn't just in, in football, I think it cuts across all sports, it's really been um, underfunded uh, in, in, in the past. Um, when we developed our 11 principles, our vision for the sport, we really saw um, the women's game as very central in our overall strategy. And, and, and that was both in terms of the pathways, but also uh, in terms of our, our high performance programs. Um, so there's really been a, a strong focus over the past eight months to find a better balance um, when it comes to 
the investments uh, in our pathways and high performance program. Um, in, in, if we look at our next budget in FY22, we're looking at more than 50% of our budget going into um, national team programs and a significant portion of that um, will go into the, the, the women's game. I think what you're seeing with that investment is, um, is, is certainly improvement. There was improvement on the pitch with the Olympics, as, as you said, and um, we're also starting to see a return on investment. You're starting to see brands like Cadbury, uh, Commonwealth Bank, and, and Rebel Sport come into the sport, but but really invest um, in, in the women's side. So um, it's an area that I think there's still room room to grow, but um, there's been a significant uh, um, increase into um, the, the women's side of the business. James, um, I think in the last week, we've had the New South Wales and Victorian um, NPL leagues uh, effectively abandoned for obvious reasons, the impact of COVID. Um, just a, a general question, you know, what role can the Socceroos and Matildas play to help our football community tough out uh, what's, you know, another another difficult time for uh, semi-professional and community football? I, I mean, uh, everybody who loves the game so much is drawing inspiration from the Socceroos and Matildas. Can you just reflect on the importance of those brands and uh, and the identities within them to our football community? I think there's two parts to that question. I think the first part is it, it you know it provides excitement, enjoyment uh, in, in, in a time of uh, of or, or a challenging time. I mean, you just need to look at the Olympics, and what we saw was was uh, our broadcast numbers uh, explode. There was a 10 million um, cumulative uh, audience that watched both the Matildas and the Olyroos, and we saw some of the largest audiences we've ever seen. Um, watch the Matildas and the Olyroos during the Olympics. Um, social engagements were really uh, off, off, off the scales as well. So that, to us, um, shows that um, people were really excited during COVID to, to watch uh, these two great brands play football. I think the other point is um, the, 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 the national teams, both the Matildas, Socceroos and the Olyroos, they're, they're really what we call... Um, uh, unifiers. They, they really bring people together. They bring the country um, together. And in a time where the country is, is split on issues, we're seeing different states, for example, have different views on how they plan to manage uh, COVID. It, 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 these teams really bring the nation together and we get a, an opportunity to really remember um, what being Australia is about and what being an Australian um, feels like so for us um, certainly the excitement on one side but also their their uh, unifying um, um, ability to bring Australia together is, is is really what I think can can add value to the, to the Australian community yeah exactly it uh, it's a, it's a, the joy we talked about with Paul Wade uh, that uh, despite the professionalism and uh, and the, the level of elite high performance that that uh, that is required it's all about bringing happiness and um, and and fun to people's lives, and uh, and when you've got two teams of the likes of the Matildas and the Socceroos uh, doing the things they've been doing in recent times, during these uh, really challenging times of COVID, uh, it's uh, it's a great respite for for families uh, at uh, at home watching watching their efforts. James, thanks so much for joining us. We could talk to you for ages. There's so much to talk about football, but uh, uh, keep up the uh, outstanding work at, at head office. Uh, we we love the new uh, Ten Paramount deal, which debuted uh, overnight with the Socceroos and looking forward to uh, seeing them take uh, football to the next level in this country alongside of uh, Football Australia at office. Thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate your support and have a great weekend. 
not at all James Johnson, CEO of Football Australia. All right, stick around after the break. We're going to talk to Dimi Petratos, uh, newly signed with the Western Sydney Wanderers back from Saudi Arabia. They're expecting big things from him as the Wanderers try to climb off the canvas in the coming A-League season. That's after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. We've been counting down the clubs. There's still a couple of months away before the A-League commences, but uh, we uh, have been doing a deep dive with uh, with some uh, new signings, some uh, old hands at, at various clubs, and uh, a player who has uh, been at a few different clubs, but he's now back in his uh, own backyard for the very first time at the Western Sydney Wanderers, Dimi Petrados. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How are you? Yeah, we're real good, Dimmy. Um, and uh, look, you've, uh, you're coming to uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers on loan from your Saudi club. You made 28 appearances, scored 10 goals for Alweda uh, last season. Uh, you know, it was a successful season for the club. You know, why the decision to return home now? Um, and uh, you know, we had Craig Goodwin on last week. He talked about his experiences in Saudi Arabia and, uh, and your thoughts on, on Saudi uh, playing in that uh, competition. I feel like coming back home and obviously I've been coached by Carl and um, had a, a number of players playing at West Sydney, and I played with them before um, at the Jets or other other clubs. And I've come back to work hard and, and have a great season with the Wanderers. Yeah, and you mentioned Carl Robinson as a manager. So, you know, you, you have played under him before, um, and uh, you, you know the, the style of manager he is um, in his brief stint at, at Newcastle. Uh, uh, was he the, the key link to, to wanting you to come back, uh, along with just wanting to come back home? Look, I really enjoyed the few months I've had with him at Newcastle. Um, he helped me a lot, and I can think I can have a, a good season having him as my coach and the players that um, he's brought in and, and the players that are there at the moment, um, I think we can do very well. And I'm looking forward to it. Well, you played your junior football in Blacktown and Penrith, so you're a Western Sydney boy. Um, does that add a little bit of extra emotion to going to Western Sydney Wanderers? I know you've played for a, a few A-League clubs, but does this feel a little bit more special because effectively you're, you're going to represent a region that's... Uh, your boyhood home? I grew up in Blacktown. There's been times where I've wanted to play for Wanderers, but other things have popped up. And at the time, I thought that was the right move to go to this place or that place. Wanderers is a place that I've wanted to, to come back to and, and play. I can represent the area. Hopefully people can respond and um, have a good connection of I'm, I'm a West boy, and, and hopefully young kids can see that and want to represent that area. Um, cause it's got a big following of football, and uh, hopefully everything goes well. I've come back for one year loan, and I haven't come back to be in a comfort zone and be with family. I've come back to work very hard, um, give the best for the team, uh, for the West, and, and obviously try and go for the win. Get the titles. Talk to Dimi Petratos, recently signed with the Western Sydney Wanderers, coming back from Saudi Arabia, and when you, you really did hit, hit the ground running um, in uh, the Middle East when you arrived. Uh, you know, you, you uh, 
were uh, on fire uh, as a goal scorer, equaling uh, the uh, the Swedish striker Carlos Strandberg, who's a, a superstar over there as well. I mean, th- there there was talk at the time that um, you must be knocking on the door of uh, of uh, the Socceroos, and um, you know, well, given the fact that you, you've had that experience in the Middle East and the next World Cup is in Qatar. Uh, how high on the radar is that? Have you heard from Arnie uh, uh, about uh, the, the likelihood of a call-up? Look, there's a number of players that are in the extended squad for the Socceroos. Um, but my main focus at the moment is uh, playing for the Wanderers. And, of course, every single Aussie, just like myself, wants to represent the country and, and, and do the best for the country. But I like to look at it and take one step at a time. If the opportunity comes, of course, I'll give my best. But at the moment, I need to focus on where I am and and represent uh, West Wanderers. And you know, they're a club that uh, that has done so well. But uh, you know, that early success that they had uh, has really tailed off, uh, particularly during those years where the new stadium was being built, and they just haven't got the magic back. I mean, you're a championship player in your own right. You were just 21 years old in the 2013-14 season with Brisbane Roar. You played 27 games that year. Um, you're uh, uh, the sort of guy that a club like the Wanderers really needs to, to solidify that sort of team spirit, that expectation of success. Uh, you know, just what would it mean to you to, to, to I mean, you, you've still got plenty of years to go in your career, but, you know, all these years later to pick up another trophy. It's a very big year for me, um, personally, um, like we said, to represent the West. And yes, I have um, won a title before and I've got that experience. There's a few other players. Um, in in the Wanderers that have gone up to that um, status, you can say, and the won titles and grand finals. So if we can all work together, and I believe Carl can do that and um, get us to play good football, entertaining football, and and who knows, the goal is to win, win the league. Um, you've got to go in every season thinking like that. And that's where the experienced players will come and play their part and and hopefully everything Joe as well. Demi, just uh, for the listeners right around Australia, just tell us, how did you adjust to life in Saudi Arabia? And just give us a little bit of a, a little bit of feedback on what it's like to play football in Saudi Arabia. We know the standard's very, very good. So I'm just interested in, in what it was like for you to live and play football in the kingdom. We had uh, great facilities. The compound was very good personally for me. Um, with my young, with my young ones, they it was a great facility, pools, little parks, and that. So, off the field was good. On the field, um, I enjoyed my time. I had a lot of um, the CEO helped me a lot there. Um, brought me in a bit earlier, and I was able to um, connect with the players and and have enough time to to build into the start of the season. Uh, my first game, I scored uh, a penalty and. I believe that it took me three or four games to get used to the style of the play um, in Saudi. And then after that, um, I was really enjoying my football. Well, Demi, you are a proud Aussie, but a proud Aussie of Greek heritage. Uh, you know, your dad obviously played uh, for uh, Sydney Olympic all those years ago, and uh, the family is a footballing family, mate. They'll love having you back home again and, uh, you know, having some of those big Greek feasts when you're not in lockdown up there in Sydney. And uh, I'm sure that uh, that you're looking forward to getting into all of that sort of stuff the moment you get out of quarantine as well. Yeah, of course. Uh, it is what it is now with the quarantine. I don't want to talk too much about that, but 
yeah, once everything opens and the season starts, I'm really looking forward to that and and just working hard. Uh, can't wait to get out of quarantine and and uh, start training with the team and of course uh, see family. Well done, Dimmy. Uh, hey, thanks for joining us, mate. Um, we hope it goes quick for you when you're back out there enjoying the time with your family. And uh, we can't wait to see you out there at Bankwest Stadium lighting it up at uh, the Western Sydney Wanderers as they uh, they look to get back there, Mojo, and, uh, and become a real key uh, club as they should be in the A-League se- uh, season coming up. Yeah, thank you very much. You're welcome, Dimmy Petrados. Great to have you on to him. All right, a busy first hour that was talking to Paul Wade, James Johnson, of course, for the first time on the show. But we do have a bumper second hour coming up. We've got our good friend Michael Lynch from The Age. We normally go to The Athletic or The Times or somewhere else to talk about uh, European clubs, Premier League clubs. But uh, Lynchy, he's as big an expert and a passionate a supporter as there is about Spurs. And uh, top of the ladder, we might as well give him a treat to wax lyric all about his club. We'll talk more, Dino, with... Dino and Derek yeah, about Europe and wrap it up with stoppage time. So stick around. That's all coming up after the break on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Welcome back to Box to Box, second edition news with Willem van Dender and shortly we're going to have a chat to a good mate from the age, Michael Lynch. We normally talk to him about uh, A-League matters, soccer matters, but this time we're going to go right into the very heart of his passion for Tottenham Hotspur, who are only three rounds in, sitting on top of the ladder, but they're the only undefeated side in the Premier League, so he will be lapping that up. Uh, We'll talk more European news with Dino and Dell, the European qualifiers and transfer news, and we're just going to let... um, Derek and Michael off the leash and just vent about Arsenal in stoppage time. That will be entertaining. Willem, you've got some more news for us? I do, Rob. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. Make sure you're among the first to know about upcoming overseas tours with the Green and Gold Army by signing up to the mailing list. It takes two seconds. It couldn't possibly be easier. Head to ggatravel.com.au. Martin Boyle moved a goal clear atop the Scottish Premiership Golden Boot Tally, scoring his fourth in four for Hibs in a 2-0 win over Livingston. Hibs won't be happy uh, with the Socceroos if they return him with a busted hamstring. He's been in flying form. Elsewhere in Scotland, Ange Postacoglu's Celtic spurned early chances before going down 1-0 to Rangers, while Cam Devlin sealed his move to Hearts and could debut as early as next weekend. A number of key Socceroos made debuts for new clubs before heading into camp in Doha. Firstly, as is Bayic, he's at his fourth Turkish club now, Sunspor. He made his debut since moving across from Istanbul. Ryan Strain made his debut for Maccabi Haifa in a nil-all draw with Israel before perhaps a surprise maiden call-up to the national team. Michael, what did you make of that? We know uh, not all uh, not all players are available to the uh, national team based on uh, the quarantine situation in Australia. Uh, Fran Karacic out injured as well, but do you think Ryan's there on his merits or simply because he's a European player? Well, I just think there was a hole at right back, wasn't there? And uh, it needed to be filled. And my information was that he might have got some time, but he uh, obviously hurt himself in training. And uh, that meant that Ryan Grant uh, had to um, uh, play a full 90 minutes, which I don't think was part of the plan. Um, but yeah, look, um, uh, Ryan, I think he's just been in the right place at the right time based on uh, the need and, uh, and he's doing well and he's in that position and he gets his opportunity. 
And Jackson Irvine came off the bench for St. Pauli in the dying stages of their win over Jan Regensburg. And Alex Gersbach will look to reignite his career in the shadows of the French Alps, signing a two-year deal with League Two side Grenoble Foot. There is some serious history in that town, Robin. What a stadium it is. Uh, if you've seen the photos, the Alps, unbelievable. I think it, I think it rivals uh, Shimizu S. Pulse's stadium just under Mount Fuji. It's a beautiful stadium. I've been there. I was lucky. That's where the Matildas uh, beat Jamaica. Oh, okay. Uh, in the Women's World Cup in 2019. It, 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 it's got a translucent roof and you can sit in your seat and, and just gaze at start, at uh, the Alps uh, while you're watching the football. It's absolutely fantastic. Alana let Kennedy... Me, let me tell you... Uh, sorry, yep. Willem, just let me tell you uh, one little bit of sec- secret about that ga- that stadium. In winter, oh, 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 pretty <laughs> cold. It doesn't sound like a secret, Michael, to anybody who's been there. <laughs> Moving on to the Matildas, Alana Kennedy will join Hayley Russell at Manchester City, having signed a two-year deal. Emily Gelnick is set for a return to English football eight years after her sole season with Liverpool, signing a one-year deal with Aston Villa. The FA Women's Super League kicks off in the early hours of Saturday morning Australian time. Gilnick's move takes the Matildas' tally to 10 heading into the season. Michael, what are you expecting of our girls uh, in the Women's Super League? We've obviously still got the trio at Arsenal and then two players at each of Manchester City and Tottenham. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, they've made a beeline for uh, England and I'd say um, that's that's a good decision by all of them. They're, they're all good clubs. Um, the only thing about the Women's Super League in the UK, there is three clubs that dominate. The others are a little way behind. But, um, yeah, it's good to, to see them going around. And obviously, I think financially, it's uh, pretty good for the girls as well. And uh, they deserve to get a bit of a reward, don't they, Rob? They do, and uh, we uh, we talked to James Johnson about that in the opening. Uh, the challenges of uh, professional women's football, and uh, the fact that uh, very few of them have uh, a, you know a strong income. I mean, we know what the Matildas at the top level have got uh, good incomes from their club football, but uh, but that depth doesn't go that deep. You know, twenty thirty players maybe we need you know fifty sixty players to be feeding into that uh, top level to be one of the best sides in the world. Cristiano Ronaldo has broken the international goal-scoring record in the same week he sealed a fairy tale move back to Manchester United. Ronaldo's 110th and 111th goals for Portugal came in their 2-1 World Cup qualifying win over Ireland, taking him past Iran's Ali Dee's 109. Ronaldo left United for Real Madrid 12 years ago and returns for just 24 million Australian, dedicating the decision to the man who signed him from Lisbon, Sir Alex Ferguson. Rob, on this one, the critics have come out and said it's a purely nostalgic move that he's passed his prime, but at 36, I think he's still going to contribute. The one thing Man United have lacked early in this season is a focal point, a proper number nine, and I think uh, he's going to be more than capable of helping them right to the, the pointy end of the ladder. Yeah, well, look, I know uh, Derek and Dean will have something to say about that uh, later on uh, when we when we review the transfers, but uh, you know that if that's what they're signing up for, which clearly um, a number nine is what, they, um, what they've signed him up as, then they'll get what they need because he just does score goals. But if you look back uh, at his time at Juventus, uh, you know, you, you couldn't really say it was successful because they came off, you know, that, that record-winning um, run of, of, of Serie A uh, Scudetto and, uh, and also um, some uh, serious aspirations that when he signed that they'd, they'd win the Champions League, which they didn't manage to do. They, they, they lost to, to lesser teams in final stages. So, you know, despite the fact that he scored goals with Juventus, uh, there, there was no big silverware um, that, that he won. So uh, this will either be all duck or no dinner. And um, I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer might either make himself or, or seriously, uh, it could break him. So it'll be fascinating to watch how, how Ronaldo uh, uh, returns to, to the Red Devils. 
No, it's going to be duck. It's going to be duck all the way. Uh, back to the World Cup qualifiers. Spain have lost their first qualifier in 28 years, going down 2-1 to Sweden in Stockholm. They took the lead through Carlos Soler, but were overhauled through goals to Alexander Isak and Victor Clayson, ending their run of 52 wins and 14 draws. The last loss came against Denmark in March 1993. Spanish manager Luis Enrique was on the pitch that day as a 23-year-old Sweden lead Group B with five games to play, and only the top uh, from each qualifier qualify automatically. Michael, your thoughts on this one? Uh, similar to their early stuttering performances in the Euros, whenever Spain lose, it's always a bit of a disaster because they have so much possession just by the nature of the way they play. They always dominate, but when they don't put it on the board, it's uh, always cause for concern. It is, isn't it? And obviously, um, that result stood out and so did um, Croatia's result uh, against uh, Russia. So um, you just think maybe, um, do, do, do you, Willem, do you think that Euros and going deep into Euros has had any impact on these teams? Uh, maybe a bit of a letdown. You know, Spain, Spain, and um, obviously Croatia was so good in the Euros. Uh, do you think that's got anything to do with it, or is it just the grind of of um, of uh, international football and club football at the moment? No, I think it's the grind of of club football because yeah, you're right. When you do, it, it's a combination of both because when you do go long, you don't get the break, and they're straight back into their their club season. So yeah. Not, not cause for concern just yet. Still plenty of matches to play. It's only a one-off loss. Uh, there's one more I am very keen to squeeze in, guys. Newcastle United have signed Mexican teenager Santiago Munoz on an 18th-month loan from Santos Laguna. Now, why is this newsworthy? Because, of course, his near-namesake Santiago Munez is an out-and-out legend of the club for his exploits in the 2005 movie Goal and its uh, its sequels. box to box has obtained live footage of Santiago's arrival at Newcastle. Okay. Welcome to the tune. <laughs> what is that? It's where the Georgians live. Yeah, where's the Geordie? Someone that lives in the tune. You've a lot to learn, Bonnie lad. Yeah. Well done, Willem. Uh, I love it. Um, love that story. Mexican players coming to Australia. Wouldn't that be nice if, we, if it opened the floodgates? All right. Uh, nice work, my friend. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk to our good friend, Michael, and she's been with us pretty much since day one on Box to Box. He talks uh, Socceroos, he talks A-League, but this is the first time we've had him on exclusively to talk about the club of his boyhood, the Lily Whites, Tottenham Hotspur. They're on top of the ladder, three wins in a row. New coach, the superstar striker has stayed. Uh, will they go all the way? We'll talk to Lynchy about that after the break. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Welcome back to Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now, who would have thought that after the off-season that they had with Daniel Levy shopping all over Europe for a new manager, Harry Kane proving his gentleman's agreement wasn't worth the paper it wasn't written on, can you believe Spurs are the only unbeaten club and Nuno Espirito Santo looks like he has the golden touch? Our very good friend from the age, Michael Lynch, is on the line. He grew up in the shadows of White Hart Lane. Um, is this all a little surreal or uh, am I just going off a little bit too early, Lynchy? Uh, well, you might be going off a little bit too early. I'll have to correct you there. I didn't quite grow up in the shadows of White Hart Lane, but I definitely grew up in northwest London, and I went to school at Finchley, and basically everyone at my school was either Tottenham or Arsenal. So I came out on the Lily White side, but uh, the, you know we were the majority. But getting back to your original question, did I expect to be on top of the table? Nine points, three wins, three clean sheets. 
three one nil wins. Not really. If you'd said this last year under Mourinho, I would have said it's probably Mourinho ball, that, isn't it? 1 0. But, yeah. but um, you know, when I looked at the table, when I looked at the fixtures at the start of the season, I thought realistically um, we could beat Watford at the lane and probably get a draw at Wolves, maybe fluke a win, but probably a draw. And, and probably lose to City. So I was expecting four points, not nine. So we're well well in front. And um, and so far as uh, Harry Kane, we see this often enough. Uh, it was a scenario that plays out pretty much every postseason in one league or another. Obviously, Harry's brother, who's his manager, doesn't have the... Uh, capacity of the super agents to insert all of the right clauses. Uh, it seems that it didn't bother the players or the or the manager. Uh, he's now just had to cop the fact that uh, the deal wasn't a deal after all, and uh, and reimmerse himself back into the club. Um, is that uh, a case of nothing to see here anymore, uh, or um, you know, do you think it affects his uh, his season ahead? Um, well, I think. People perhaps don't feel quite the same way they did about Harry as before. And maybe he doesn't feel quite the same way. Well, he clearly doesn't, does he? Um, Having wanted to leave. But football fans are very forgiving. If he starts banging in the goals and they, you know, are lurking around the top four of the league all season and he's in scintillating form, I guess all his forgiven isn't it you know and and the players are professionals they just get on with it and in fact there might be some who would have thinking when he was going well you know what this will change the way we play open up opportunities and maybe I'll get a game or more of a bigger role so you know most people are actually in the end driven by their own self-interest and um, and Kane gone they would have readjusted and Kane staying great we've got the best striker in the Premier League let's let's uh, integrate him back in the team again. It would appear that um, from what I read I mean Pep Guardiola fancied him but Manchester City's hierarchy didn't. I mean they could afford to go out and buy Haaland Mbappe and Kane if they wanted all three couldn't they but they don't want to spend so and, and they clearly um, I, I felt a bit well, I wouldn't say sorry for Harry Kane, but I, I just thought, caveat emptor, mate, you know, you put yourself out on the line, you've tried, tried to force a move and they've left you dangling. They haven't actually gone through with the deal, have they? Lynchy, um, the new football director, um, Fabio Peratici, had quite an active uh, transfer window. He cleared out 900 games of Spurs experience. Out the door went Eric Lamala, um, Elderweald, Danny Rose, Sissoko, they all went out the door and it seems the list has been refreshed. What are your views of that? Do you think the early wins changed their approach to the transfer window or do you think that was more of a calculated uh, sort of piece of activity? Well, I'm interesting. Uh, You you say Paratici. I did hear on an athletic podcast that apparently he says his name Paratici. But... um, or maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But no, maybe I'm um, wrong, Lynchy. The big, the big, um, the the big way uh, for them throughout the whole window was trying to keep hold of Kane. 
So while while it's not a new signing, in, psychologically it might sort of slightly feel that way. Look, Lamella, great servant. I mean, was there anybody who was better at shithousery than Eric Lamella? I mean, that's his calling card, wasn't it? Shithousery and Rabonas. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's, he's gone off to Sevilla and he's he's already scoring a load more than he could in the Premier League. So that's great for him. Musa Sissoko got great reception at the lane the other day. But, you know, his, his end product always left something to be desired. That shot he had that nearly cleared the stand was a, a, a reminder of the Musa Sissoko we knew and loved. Um, and, you know, Alderweireld, he, he wanted to go. He was 33 and he, he, he wanted to get out of the Prem. I'm not sure he actually wanted to go to the Middle East. He, he wanted to go back to Belgium, but... You know, the money they were offering was so poor, he didn't want to take a huge pay cut. But the look at Danny Rose, I mean, he was frozen out by Mourinho, and it was great to to see him get a round of applause uh, at White Hart Lane the other day after he was on the bench for Watford. But but um, generally, I think it looks, looks like a decent bit of business. Perhaps the best bit of business has been Nuno Espirito Santo. You know, the way he's, he's turned Dyer and Sanchez into this impregnable central defensive pairing uh, is quite remarkable, isn't it? Well, it seems to be, especially after what he did with Wolves. He's uh, sort of uh, um, not missed a beat. This is Box to Box. We're talking to our good friend from The Age, Michael Lynch. We normally go to Europe to talk uh, Premier League, but we've got an expert right now, Backyard, and no one knows more about the uh, Lily Whites than he does. Lynchy, Son Munhing, he's getting better in my opinion and it's a real delight for a neutral to watch Tottenham play. How much uh, do you love the way he goes about his business? Oh, I think everybody loves Sonny, don't, don't they? You know, he's just a fantastic footballer and by all accounts an unbelievably good character, a really good man, good person. I mean, he has to be the best Asian player ever, doesn't he? I think so. You know, um, we can split airs and argue about Harry uh, Harry Kuehl and Paducah being Asian players, but um, they certainly didn't start their careers in the Asian Confederation. And, and I think no one would argue that Son Heung-min is an, an Asian player. And I, I feel his achievements um, certainly outstrip those of, of Keisuke Honda and uh, Hidetoshi Nakata and uh, Shinsuke Nakamura, who was at uh, Celtic. So, um, yeah, unbelievably good and a great bloke to have. And he signed a four-year deal, so he finished his career at Spurs. And Edge talked about the uh, the clear-out, and uh, we've uh, not talked about probably the biggest signing of the transfer window, uh, Emerson Royal. Uh, it's a great story behind that nickname, like most Brazilians. It's uh, it's a nickname, his real name, Emerson Aparecido Lete de Souza Jr. Um, Tim Vickery, the, uh, the renowned South American football expert, uh, explained that uh, the nickname Royal came after his uncle uh, uh, thought that he looked like the cartoon character on a jelly packet in Brazil. So he says that it's now time for the man named after a jelly to stand up straight and put some solidity solidity into what's been a pretty shaky career. So Emerson Royal expected to do a lot uh, at uh, the first choice uh, right back. Uh, um, how important is signing is he? 
Well, will he be the first choice right back? I mean, Jacket well, and Ganga has been fantastic this season. He kept Sterling and Grealish quiet on his own in the first game. He struggled a bit more against the Dharma Traore, but who wouldn't, um, <laughs> against Wolves? And he, he didn't have an awful lot to do uh, against Watford. Um, I mean, he's he's in possession of that position, and I, I don't think it's a walk-up start for Emerson, for Royal to walk straight into the team. You know, um, the great thing about Tanganga, of course, is he can play as a centre-back as well. Um and, and so, as you know, chaps, in in these uh, really competitive leagues, it's about building squad depth, particularly if you are involved in a European competition and, and people are scoffing at the Europa Conference League. And, and quite obviously, Tottenham would rather be in the Champions League or the Europa League. But if you're in it, you might as well try and win it. And you, um, and you can, at the very least, allow younger players and fringe players game time and experience so you need a big squad i suspect royal might might we might see him in that competition first and um you mentioned tim vickery tim vickery another good tottenham supporter actually <laughs> well he was the one that said number one right back so uh it'll, it looks like it's going to be an interesting argument uh in the uh, bleachers as to who gets the, the spot, but as you say, uh, the incumbents uh, in some kind of form. So tell us, looking ahead at the rest of the season, Lynchy, the um, likelihood of the of the silverware drought breaking, uh, I mean, I know it's only three games and we don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but, uh, you know, sometimes these things happen. You get a new coach who might be a little bit underrated after you've shopped around for uh, for big, big names. Uh, the uh, the favourite son who wants to leave stays, as Edge said, Song Hyung Min, he's just one of the, the the best players, bar none, regardless of what part of the world he comes from. Is it possible that, uh, you know, with Deli Ali recapturing some of his best form, that uh, that they might be in with a chance? Well, yeah, you'd probably have to say the best chance of silver will be in a cup competition. And um, I think, we're you know, we're already progressed further in the league. Uh, league no, not the League Cup, what was it? I've forgotten. We got knocked out by Chelmsford in one competition earlier. Or, or not Chelmsford, Colchester, wasn't it? <laughs> in one of those <laughs> competitions. Not last season, but the season before. Um, but look, League Cup, FA Cup, Europa Conference League, you've got to say that they're more likely, far more than Spurs winning the Premier League. But, you know, Leicester showed that things aren't impossible. And... Um, once you get momentum, sense of belief, and as my uh, partner she said to me, how can how can Tottenham fail when they got a bloke called the Holy Spirit coaching them? <laughs> <laughs> well, what a great way to finish, mate. Well, you get on your knees and pray, um, like every uh, good Spurs supporter, hoping that they'll see one more Premiership before they die, or at least one Premiership. But uh, uh, we'll be following them with much interest, and we'll uh, we'll uh, maybe you'll be our lucky charm, Lynchy, and we'll get you on. Uh, to talk well, about it as the, I, I the season was alive when they won in '61, but I was only three or four, so I don't really remember it. All right, we'll cross our fingers for you, mate. Okay.
Michael Lynch, the great man from the age. We love talking to him. He's a great authority on football around the world and uh, his beloved Spurs there on top of the ladder after three rounds. But, uh, hey, you'd be better be there. You'd prefer to be there than uh, anywhere else. All right, stick around after the break. More Europe with Dino Wendell on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal Welcome of all. Box to Box on 9 Radio, NTS News, Talk Sport. What a great chat that was with our good mate Michael Lynch. We're going to talk more Europe with the boys in a moment, including all of the World Cup qualifiers, transfer news, etc. But it's Father's Day this weekend. Yes, it is. And if you still haven't bought your dad anything yet, well, that's okay, because Chemist Warehouse has got you covered. This day, this Father's Day, don't get dad jocks and socks. Get a big brand fragrance from Chemist Warehouse for him. Simply shop online at chemistwarehouse.com.au, spend $30 or more, and together with DoorDash, they'll deliver your gift within 24 hours for free. So go on, get dad the fragrance he really wants, or spoil yourself with all your essential health and wellness needs with free delivery within 24 hours from Chemist Warehouse to your home. How good is that? Remember, this Father's Day Chemist Warehouse has you covered with fast delivery powered by DoorDash. Simply shop online at chemistwarehouse.com.au, and as I said, before. Spend $30 or more and they'll deliver your gift within 24 hours. Offer ends this Sunday, Father's Day, and excludes prescriptions and pharmacist-only medications. Selected stores only. Chemist Warehouse, where the great savings are every single day. Now, guys, there were some great games, unexpected results, um, a couple of drubbings uh, in the, the Euro qualifiers, and uh, of course, uh, big news, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo style in the transfer market. But Derek, uh, where do you want to lead us off? Oh, well, I think we'll go with the uh, the present, Rob, and that was the results overnight. England, Dino, picking up really where they left off in uh, in the Euros. Uh, Hungary were a tough team to beat in that tournament, in that so-called group of death. But England made uh, easy work of this, albeit in the face of some, again, sad racial abuse. Yeah, look, very poor. Um, I watched I watched it, um, you know, and uh, it was poor. I mean, the, the first half, they had a few chances, but certainly in the second half, uh, they took control and um, they looked like the side that was in the Euros, um, you know, um, earlier in. So now with this, I think it's a fabulous result. And uh, but the crowd, the crowd wasn't good. And it's um, it's something's got to be done with that. Yeah, we, we I think we all want Hungary to become another powerhouse of European football again. I think the the scene is a better place with Hungary vibrant, that fantastic stadium and a great uh, pedigree. But, you know, unfortunately, it's just being all ruined by, by the actions of fans in the stadium. Um, people that uh, won't be happy with their return from the Euros is the champions, Italy. They were held by... Um, Bulgaria in a disappointing draw, as were France as well, who uh, were held uh, by um, by Bosnia earlier in the week as well. Um, on the flip side, though, Germany, who uh, under Flick, uh, their first uh, new manager for some time over the departure of Yoki Love, uh, won their first game 2-0 away in lowly Liechtenstein. Uh, Werner surprisingly getting on the score sheet for them. Lukaku scores twice in uh, a 5-2 victory over Minos. Um, Estonia and Spain lose their first World Cup qualifier Dino in two years they went 2-1 down to uh, to uh, the Swedes uh, away there in Stockholm so um, Ronaldo of course has been making the headlines um, 
primarily for beating that record, Dino. Uh, 111 goals he's now scored in international football. And of course, during the transfer window, he has uh, moved to Manchester United. What do, what do you make of the record and what do you make of the move? I think I'm glad he went. I know they were linked to Manchester City, um, but obviously Man United was where he had that relationship with um, Sir Alex and and he's, he's always quoted that he was like a father figure to him. So I think I think he's done the right thing. You know, I know a lot of play, people have played for City and United, but I think it was a better move for him to go back there. And on, the, on his record of international goals, well, it's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, he's such a fabulous player and I still think he's got a lot still to give and uh, what a way to do it, to do it at international level, especially scoring twice late in the game um, after, you know, they were, they were, they were one nil down for a long, long time. So, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's a good move. Well, the United fans will certainly be getting nostalgic uh, uh, and, uh, Real Madrid, of course, were unsuccessful in bringing Kylian Mbappe, your favourite uh, edge, across to there with a £189 million uh, bid turned down. Um, edge, why did, what, where did Real Madrid get this money from? You probably don't know the answer to that, but why are they going to pay £200 million for a player that is going to be able to join them free next year? Well, that's the big question, isn't it? Uh, and many columns in uh, internet websites on football and newspapers have been pontificating about where they get that money because don't forget Real Madrid at the moment are also renovating the Bernabeu. That's a 300 million euro project. Uh, they've got quite, quite old, old in parts that they needed to do that for safety as well as increased capacity. But on top of the, uh, the, the impact of... Uh, match day revenues and sponsorship and La Liga's broadcast issue, broadcast rights issues, you just wonder where they would have got that money from. So maybe they've dodged a bullet. And also, considering that uh, the great Frenchman, Mbappe, is also going to be a free agent at the end of his contract. Yeah, I think um, the uh, uh, PSG have saved them from themselves there a bit, Edge, as you said, and uh, he will join that Trident up front now. And I think it will be fun to see just how Messi um, and uh, Mbappe and Neymar go in that in that front three and whether they can indeed buy the Champions League. Um, Antoine Griezmann, of course, has, has joined Atletico Madrid on loan um, from Barcelona. That move did not work out for, for, for either party. And uh, I think Barcelona will just be happy to uh, get that off their wage bill. Maybe uh, PK will get some of his uh, euros back that he had to give up to uh, to free up some uh, cash for the squad. Um, but it was a it was a phenomenal um, transfer window. You know they're not always fizzers, but this one certainly had just about everything in it. Um, moving over to the Premier League, let's start at the top. Dino, and I say this through gritted teeth, uh, Spurs are three out of three, a win over Watford at home. Did we see this coming, you know, with uh, Nuno, their 14th choice manager, and Harry Kane looking like he was going to leave the club? But this is a great start. Yeah, look, it is. I mean, I thought Nuno did a fabulous job at Wolves, especially in the early days. But, you know, it's like if uh, the budgets aren't the same as, you know, some of the top the top six, let's call it. And, uh, and I think from a Spurs point of view, I think... Uh, I think he's he's got like quite a calming influence on on the group, and they seem to be very much all together again. So it's a fabulous start, and um, you you just don't know because they've still got some classy players in there, including obviously uh, the talisman. So it's um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? 
Oh, so, certainly, it's not something as an Arsenal fan that we want to see. But I also think you have to tip your cap and say, you know, they've done pretty well given all of the circumstances. Um, with seven points, or a clutch of teams. I have to say, Everton have started well. Uh, they won uh, um, against Brighton and. Uh, yeah, Benitez will be relieved after a bit of an iffy start. Manchester United, Dino, they were a bit lucky away at Wolves, weren't they? I don't think Wolves deserved that loss. Um, yeah, look, it was one of those games where, you know, it's it's, it's going to be just one maybe chance. that I mean, and there was a few chances that were missed, of course, but that one chance that uh, seals the game and it was a good finish. So, I mean, that gives United, maybe luckily, but a really good start, along with West Ham as well. I mean, they're looking, they're looking ominous again and picking up from where they left off last year. Yeah, of course. Um, well, look, first of all, dealing with Mason Greenwood, I mean, he... He potentially is one of the victims of the Ronaldo transfer because that really is his position and kind of playing in that number nine forward position. I think, you know, he's maybe going to find first team football hard to come by. West Ham, of course, drawing two of Crystal Palace, uh, first point for the Eagles under Vieira. Liverpool and Chelsea, of course, was uh, a one-all draw with a, with a slightly iffy uh, red card there. One of those that depends what colour shirt you were wearing. A red shirt, it, it was definitely a red card. A blue shirt, definitely not. Um, City, of course, beat Arsenal uh, 5-0 extremely comfortably. And we're going to talk about um, Arsenal in stoppage time. Uh, and Arsenal are at bottom of the league. So Spurs fans do take a screen grab of that league table. Uh, it is a, you know, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Uh, the bottom three are Wolves and Norwich joining Arsenal. So, uh, yeah, I think Arsenal, the, the international break certainly came at the right time for them. Uh, going over towards Europe, uh, the Champions League draw did happen and uh, City have got PSG, which uh, which all sorts of narratives there, two of the, the super clubs in Europe going head to head. I want to get Rob's quick thoughts on Liverpool, who have been drawn in, you know, definitely as some kind of group of death here with AC Milan, Atletico Madrid and Porto. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, look, that's going to be pretty tricky, isn't it? But uh, at full strength, you'd have to think they've won the Premier League, they've won the Champions League in the last three years, that why wouldn't a, uh, a Liverpool side with uh, Alisson uh, fit, with Virgil van Dijk fit, uh, with the, the, the strike force of uh, Firmino, Salah, Mane, uh, Jota, um, and uh, like, I guess the, the biggest uh, out is Wijnaldum, uh, but uh, but he's been covered in, uh, in various ways. So I, I think uh, if Liverpool are going to truly bounce back from the horror season of last year, that uh, a strong showing in the Champions League against the best in the world is uh, is what uh, what the fans want and uh, and would expect nothing less, my friend. United have got uh, Asalata and uh, Villarreal, of course, who beat them in last year's Europa League final. Uh, Chelsea and Juve will be a tasty uh, match-up in as will Barca and Bayern. And guys, I have to say, there is a new sheriff in town, and that is FC Sheriff of the Moldovan League. They are in the Champions League uh, group draw inexplicably. Um, but... Um, yeah, that you know. Let's keep an eye. Let's keep an eye on Sheriff for the uh, for the coming weeks. Um, Dino, just a quick line on the old firm. It was a, a welcome win for Steven Gerrard and Rangers. Uh, they hadn't started the season the best, uh, and it's really sort of sort of stopped that surge under Ange for Celtic. Yeah, look, I mean, Ange Ange has uh, hit the ground running. I think he's done a fabulous job. I think the game. Uh, especially an old firm game coming so early in the in in the in the calendar, uh, I think he most probably would have wanted another two or three weeks with them. But uh, overall, you can't really argue with um, 
I think if you're looking at the game, I think Rangers deserve to win it on the balance of play. They seemed a little bit more mature. And, and as I say, I think Ange just needs another two, three, four matches. And uh, I, think it could be a, I think it could be a close race, to be fair. I think, you know, especially with their new signings settling in, it's not easy when you've got lots of signings in a short period of time. But um, I think it's going to be exciting for uh, Scottish football. Absolutely. And Rob, just a quick note on Robert Lewandowski. He's now the record scorer for um, Bayern Munich, uh, overtaking Gerd Müller hat-trick against Hertha Berlin. And he scored in his 16th consecutive Bayern game. Fantastic. All right. Well done there, boys. Uh, thank you very much. So now we want you to stick around for a little fireside chat after the break on Box to Box with uh, Michael Edgeley and Derek Dyson, metaphorically sitting in a big leather wing chairs with a, a brandy balloon and a cigar, just waxing lyrical about uh, the woes of Arsenal and what needs to be done to rectify it. So, so start to, to get your head into gear. Think about that image and We'll talk about it more after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Let's welcome back to Box to Box. Uh, for the last time on Nine Radio NTS, News Talk Sport, after six years, as we mentioned off the top of the show, we uh, will no longer be on News Talk Sport. We're going to find a new home and we're working through the details of that soon, but you will find us in the meantime on any of your favourite podcast catches. So just keep an eye out on all of our social media threads and uh, we'll keep you posted as to uh, the future of Box to Box after this week. But uh, before we do move on to stoppage time and Michael and Derek uh, at Arsenal, uh, we couldn't have gotten to this point without our great partners. We talked about Chemist Warehouse uh, before the break and our other great partner, of course, is Storage King. So we want you and encourage you to support Storage King as uh, one of the great businesses in this country and so many Australians in the past 18 months have uh, have gotten to know Storage King so much better whether they were moving house whether they were decluttering they needed more space or they did it with Storage King and that is why Canstar Blue voted Storage King the most satisfied customer award winner rated five stars for value for money safety and security quality of storage and convenience the great Michael Tate is still running the show there after 22 years with contactless move in Storage King will keep you as safe as the things you store so visit storageking.com and let Storage King give you back some space. Now, I, I painted a picture before the break, boys, of Arsenal, and you know I'm not one to rub it in, as you both well know. Uh, we do feel for you that um, Arsenal are at the bottom of the ladder in um, serious relegation territory after three rounds. But you both talked a lot off air about uh, the woes of Arsenal. I, I'm more interested now in what you think needs to be done to get the uh, the Vincibles back to the invincible status that um, you guys once so loftily held. We'll just set the scene, Rob. Obviously, Arsenal, it's the first time since 1954-55 that Arsenal has lost its three opening league fixtures. So um, most of this current generation of Arsenal fans has never experienced that ever before. They are bleating. Um, we're feeling wounded, Derek, aren't we? And there are a lot of questions around uh, how the club's being managed at the moment. Um, it's recruiting and the coaching, not to mention um, the spirit and leadership of the club too. Where do you want to start, Derek? There's probably one thing that I'd like to state from the outset where is that I don't feel any entitlement as an Arsenal fan. I don't expect Arsenal to 
to be at the top of the league all the time. Uh, I accept that football is fluid. Uh, I, I'm um, annoyed that football has become uncompetitive in the way that uh, some clubs are run and the way that funds and money runs around. And Arsenal have been the victim of not being able to compete in that space. But uh, most of these wounds are self-inflicted i find it's not because of uh not because of oligarchs and and, and shakes and, and and oil barons so probably um you know let's start with uh the, the transfer window i mean arsenal you know spent the most amount of money in the transfer window um you know so the cronkies often get leveled at not investing in the club they certainly have done uh in the last year or two so you know where do you see the problems there in 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 the signings that have been made there has to be a question mark over the whole direction of the recruiting of the club because they have spent a lot of money uh, in the arteta era and the players have just been coming into the team and 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 sliding straight out of the team so there has to be a question mark over um how they're recruiting players, whether they're getting players with good character, um, you know, whether they're getting players value for money, are they um, using the data analytics that a lot of the other clubs are doing? And it just appears that the sort of players that uh, they're recruiting, and I think you coined it in one of our off-air uh, conversations, uh, that uh, we seem to recruit a lot of Chelsea rejects. That, uh, that is a good example of... Um, of where it's at, but um, I think there is a, a real question mark over the recruiting and uh, and the type of character of player that is recruited into the club because I think leadership is one of the big issues at the moment. Just look at last week's match: um, a former captain and a senior player in the team, Granite Zaka, getting sent off in the 34th minute, whatever it was, for an, a just a really crazy tackle, trying to stamp his authority on the game. It, it, it raises questions over leadership, discipline. Uh, in the Arteta era, there's been 10 red cards, four more than the next worst record um, club. So there can be question marks over all of that. And uh, it just makes Arsenal fans unhappy because they're the sort of things that you just, uh, you expect your team to be spirited. You expect it to, ha- to, to uh, have leadership and you also expect it to be disciplined. And they're none of that at the moment. Yeah, Zaka is almost like the lightning rod uh, for Arsenal fans, but also just a really, you know, in an you know encapsulation of everything that's going on. He was meant to be sold this summer. He went to the Euros with a huge for sale sticker, like stamped all over his forehead. Played actually quite well in the Euros for for Switzerland. Like bizarrely, played quite well. But then he he comes back. We can't sell him to to Roma. Uh, and then what do we do? We um we, we give him a new contract <laughs> and and uh, and he's back. In and back in the leadership group and then as you said he did what he did at the weekend against uh, against City and Dino look, you've been on the field plenty of times you know uh, the kinds of uh, sort of the mindset of the player you know why you know did Xhaka almost pull, push the self-destruct button there it looked to me like he didn't want to be on the pitch it can be a leg breaker that one and uh, having broken my leg twice I do know the feeling of that so and that's not a great experience um, but in regards to, yeah, I, I, I can't really question anything that you've said about uh, Jacker. I, I think, I think you, you're spot on with regards to uh, the Euros, was uh, touting himself to get a move and obviously it didn't happen. Then all of a sudden they go back to, um, you know, giving him another 
another opportunity and then he lets yourself down. Let's end on the manager um, edge. Um, Put it this way, I really wanted this to work. Uh, I'm definitely not someone that wants to replace managers every five minutes. And coming from a club where we had a manager for such a long time and stability under Arsene Wenger, I totally don't want us to turn into one of those teams. But, you know, when Arteta comes out at a press conference after the City game and says that, you know, we were controlling the game, uh, you know, uh, you know, City scored a f- you know, after five minutes. I think that that is slightly delusional, and I'm just not sure he's up to the task. They seem to be unprepared. There's a lot of key players either not fit or or not ready to play. Um, that is one of the main responsibilities of a of a manager is to get uh, your squad ready for the start of the season. We know the Premier League. Um, You've only got to lose a couple of games in behind the eight ball like uh, like Arsenal is. So that worries me. The other thing that worries me about Arteta is that when Granite Zaka got sent off, I would have thought he would have been burning, uh, his stare would have been burning a, a hole in, in Zaka's uh, brain. But uh, he went across to him and patted him on the backside, if to say uh, bad luck, um, you know, unlucky. And I just really dislike that because it was such an obvious... Um, disappointing um, incident for a, for a leader of the team to make and uh, I'm really concerned about uh, whether whether he's got the the medal to go through with it so but I'm like you I'm, on the on the plus side you've got to give him a bit of uh, a bit of a bit of rope because Ben White and Gabriel weren't in that team they are uh, he's starting defenders and uh, and you know uh, who knows but Again, did they press the panic button, Derek, uh, in the transfer window, just uh, looking to sign whoever they could? Heartbreaking to listen to you. You're so I'm, I'm going to remember all of this, Rob, by the way. It's all oh, noted. I'm not saying no, a word going. because he's getting me back in spades, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I know you'll remember. Revenge, as they say, is a dish best served. Very, very chilled. All right, gentlemen, well done. Dino, thanks again, mate. Thanks, boys. Derek, good luck with your move. Thank you. Lots of Storage Kings boxes on the go. Excellent. Uh, Willem, uh, thank you. Thank you, Damo and Michael. Um, thank you for another uh, great episode uh, before we move on to uh, a different world of, uh, of box-to-box in future, but uh, we're sure it'll be just as fun as the last 302 episodes have been over the past six years. Absolutely. And how good were the Socceroos, Rob? Brilliant. All right. Well, thank you for listening to us again. If you're a dad, happy Father's Day. Um, and we all hope you join us next week when you download us on your favourite podcatcher, And we'll go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.